0: Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I'm joined by Michael Tigas. Michael, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me, Leo.
0: You're my third developer in uh, this bi-monthly, quarterly, whatever you want to call it, five-episode series I'm doing with indie developers. We uh, talked with Charlie and Mustafa, so really glad to have you on. Um, Before we begin, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Yeah. Um. So I've been creating apps since 2014. Uh. Yeah. Started off with building Android apps initially. Right. Began freelancing in 2015 to 2016. Then eventually picked up iOS professionally uh, about a year later. Right. And um, yeah. I've been uh. Yeah. Uh, freelancing since then. And yeah. Helping clients. Uh. Yeah. I guess build apps. Right. Uh. For the businesses. And uh, leading up until 2019. At the end of 2019, started dabbling my feet in the, uh, the indie life and um, building my own app. So it's been a pretty fun journey so far. I've learned quite a lot. It's been great.
0: So I, am I correct in saying you were, you were a freelancer before you did just iOS development? Or were you iOS development and then a freelancer?
1: So I actually um, tinkered with a bit of Android straight after uni. I graduated into 2014 and luckily enough, got my first job probably about a few weeks after afterwards because um, yeah my university I, I graduated from Swinburne University in uh, Melbourne Australia they had a uh, a software innovation lab with about 10 to 15 other developers um, working on prototypes for different startups and my lecturer for the Android subject that I was doing towards the end of the year he was uh, I think two IC of the lab at the time he let me um, trial out for, for a month uh seeing what it's like to, I guess, build apps professionally and, um, you know, dealing with clients and, and, um, yeah, dabbling my feet in that world because, uh, I, I loved, uh, building apps towards the end of my degree. And I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do because I had a, I did an internship in IT help desk support as well. But uh, after the year and a half of doing that, uh, it kind of didn't scratch my itch. I thought it would be fun just, you know, building computers and fixing it. But, uh, yeah, I guess like, it's more fun when it's your own stuff, not not other people's stuff. But yeah, I had my first uh, yeah hit with Android working on a staffing and management platform app. And I, I didn't even know what a startup was back then. Yeah, and it was, um, yeah, like a great learning experience, to say the least.
0: Yeah, I can imagine doing help desk tickets. I worked in tech support for a few years, so I know what that's like. Not not fun at all. Mm. Do you do you miss working in the Android space at all?
1: Jeez, that's a mixed Mixed bag, honestly. Uh, fortunately, I still I still do take on Android projects from time to time because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like I, uh, when, when I speak to clients professionally, I say that, you know, I build iPhone apps and Android apps. So if they, uh, yeah, need me to scratch their itch on both mobile platforms, right? Yeah, I'll do it for them. But like, it, it was fun to start with because I was just, you know, fish out of water. We're just trying to figure out everything. And um, yeah. Is this all Java, I assume? Oh, started in Java. Yeah. yeah. And then um did that for a, 50 for a years and then Kotlin came around, which has been yeah. an absolute godsend, especially I was gonna say. Yeah, like with uh iOS dev, how you know, um Swift and Kotlin are like very syntactically similar. Yes. Yes, yeah, so it's been yeah, it's been great being able to use that and stay away from Java. <laughs> yeah.
0: I I, I don't Java is one of the few languages where I'm just like like everybody has an excuse for the language they use, but I can't. I, I don't I don't see it with Java. It's like such a such a legal web amongst, uh, and just a, not a very well-kept language by the folks mm. who own it. So, yeah, I, mm. I don't, I never, I never regret not getting into Java. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you uh, have really, <laughs> pun intended, I guess, no pun intended, you've really focused on a productivity app. Why? Why another productivity app?
1: Um, mainly to scratch my niche, really. I used to work out of a co-working space and made a few friends there, right? And I've been working from home ever since about, I think it was March 2019. And we still wanted to keep in contact We made like, oh, I mean, yeah, the group of us, it was like three or four of us, we wanted to still keep in contact during the day. And, um, like when we we're at the co-working space, like we all went our separate ways, but we really enjoyed keeping each other productive throughout the day. Cause yeah, like I was, I was doing my own app stuff, right? And like, um, you had people working uh in the uh like uh, artist industry as well. And I think uh another person ran a software development company too. And yeah, like we started hanging out Discord during the day and jumped on video chat, like make sure like we weren't we wouldn't speak throughout the day too much, right? But we'd we'd stay on camp to make sure that we're like, you know, at the computer doing work and stuff. And yeah, we um well dabbling with the idea of Pomodoros, which is like a technique that helps you uh break up like like a like a task into work blocks, structured work blocks and breaks, right? And I guess like with the idea of staying on rails to make sure you don't get distracted and and um yeah start looking at like Facebook, social media and stuff and you know, YouTube binging, the whole lot, right? And we created a or oh, we didn't create, sorry, we downloaded and installed a a Pomodoro bot for Discord. And it was like like a very rudimentary bot where you'd actually have to punch in like how many minutes you want to work for every time, uh, what time you want to start your breaks, right? And we're just like copy pasting commands over and over and over, right? And the idea of, um, yeah, building, uh I guess, focus work, which is my productivity app, spun off that idea of like, we got sick of typing in the commands all the time. And we thought, hey, this would be a great like side project to actually build an app around and maybe I could like start a time on my phone and then Yeah, like everyone else that was in the call on Discord, could use their phone as well um, and I guess automate that process. So, yeah, scratching my own itch to, to kick that off. Yeah.
0: Hey, folks, I want to let you know about one of my favorite sponsors of the show, AppFigures. AppFigures is the leading platform for app makers to track and grow their apps. It's packed with tools for reporting, optimization and competitive intelligence. You want to know what your competitors are doing. And maybe there's some lessons there to learn. AppFigures is going to teach you how to get your app noticed in the app store. We all want to make great apps, but if nobody notices, it's not worth your time and money. They have some great ways to stay on top of numbers, whether it's Apple or Google Play. If you have any Android apps, they help you guide you on what you can do to get your app noticed in the app store. They bring in all sorts of core metrics as well. So if you do anything with MRR or churn, and you want to know what's going on, definitely take a look at what app figures has to offer. Ariel has a really great YouTube channel and newsletter. You should check out this week in apps. He posts some of the latest news and latest trends in the app store, because we all know, not only do your customers change, but app store rules change all the time. So you're going to want to check that out. He also does some live keyword takedowns as well definitely check that out on their YouTube channel as well to see how your app maybe could improve the way it lists out different keywords. If you're not sure where to get started in analyzing subscriptions, go ahead and check out their guides as well and head to appfigures.com to start a trial. If you like it, take some time right now, go to appfigures.com and use the special code AMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next 3 months. There's no reason for you not to try this out. So, this is what I want you to do after you listen to this. Try out AppFigures, use the special code Empower3030 and get 30% off so you can see how to get your app noticed in the App Store. Thank you so much to Ariel and AppFigures for sponsoring today's episode. How did you decide, or how would you decide now, I guess, whether an idea is worthy of building an app? Because we all have ideas, but it's like... Sometimes those ideas might not, you might be the only person who who really is going to use that app. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, yeah. Funny you say that because <laughs> like usually when I when I think through ideas, firstly, it has to scratch my own itch because that's where my main source of motivation comes from to build it. I can't, like the difference between like having like uh, your own app, right? And like having the motivation to actually build it and like... Start that journey is so different to taking on a client project, right? Where you're working on something that doesn't scratch your own itch, but you know the reward is obviously getting paid because it's client work, and obviously expanding your connections, and you have fun doing it, right? But for me personally, well, because time's so precious, right? And my, I honestly wish I had more than twenty-four hours in a day, or at least I could clone two of myself so I could work on multiple things at one time, or, less, or at least like have one of me to work and the other half of me to like, you know, go and like, uh, I guess like check out places around where I live and stuff because yeah, like time, time's super precious. So it's a, it's a big scratch in my niche and, you know, obviously in part, if, if I want to, um, like put it up on the store, right. and, And sell it like, will people, is it something that, um, does it solve a problem, I guess like for people and like, will they pay money for it? So I guess those, those two big points, uh, like cross my mind every time I think of an idea. What
0: are your some of your inspirations for, like, designing and building the app?
1: I guess with freelancing, you don't have full creative freedom. Like, even though you're, you're steering the ship with building an app, right? And over, over the years, I've sort of bootstrapped my process where, like, be, like, early on, I was fortunate enough to work for a startup, right? And I got to hang out with a really cool uh, digital design team, which I'm still friends with today. And like in that one year patch, like I learned so much about like actually how to design mobile apps rather than just you know doing all the all the techie stuff and coding and and um I guess doing what I'm best at. And yeah, like like with my bootstrap process, like I can take on projects where like I can sort of ha- like handle the strategy, the design phase, the development phase, right, and launching and stuff, which is great. But you don't have full creative freedom for the product per se rather than the app and like building my own app lets me make all the important decisions and like if I feel like something's not being steered in the right direction I can sort of just immediately like take action on that whereas with client app uh, client apps the business stuff is kind of handled by them so if you know that they're doing something that's like not going well right you, you can't do much to sort of um yeah I guess like prevent that from happening apart from obviously speaking to them right but yeah like it's a like in, in a gut feeling that it's just like you can't like you lose you lose motivation if things continuously don't go in the right direction so yeah i get that that's the 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 first main point i guess for yeah why i'm inspired to like build my own apps
0: one of the things so you've written extensively if people don't no, they should definitely check out your blog. We, we'll put it in the show notes. But you've written pretty extensively about your whole experience. One of the things you talk about that I don't think we've mentioned uh, in our series is the, so, the so-called the so MVP or Minimum Viable Product. What does that mean to you and how do you use that in your the building of your app?
1: Yeah, so it's, uh, I guess... Creating a product that that's like entirely focused on solving a particular problem. So I, like another um, fortunate benefit of working early on with a startup is that you adopt the lean mindset of, I guess, being uh, being able to quickly uh, cut out all the ideas that are either one, not going to take, they're going to take too much time to build or two, you need like, you know, user validation to, I guess... Figure out whether it's worth going down a rabbit hole building something. So I like to keep things like real simple, and it's like it's a bit ironic that with focus work, (laughs) like I've I've been working on the app for about a year and a half now, and I've gone down so many different verticals, more or less from a technical perspective rather than a product perspective, because being able to create my own uh, my first uh, app, which isn't like it started off as an iOS app, right, and then I expanded to iPad, and then eventually the Mac, right, but going down each of those ecosystems, like has so many different rabbit holes that it's crazy. And I, I, like I naturally got sucked into it, which is like going against my advice of what I probably (laughs) should have, like, you know, like, well, once you get in a rabbit hole, you get so excited. Like like I'm naturally developer. Right. So yeah, it's just like, I, I, I couldn't stop but
0: I totally understand where you're coming from. Because you just get one of these features and you're just like, oh, this is way too cool, like, and you you might end up being the only person to use that feature, but it's so cool to see it like actually work, you still want to spend time with it. So I totally understand,
1: yeah. And um, I guess like yeah, um, going on from solving a particular problem, right? Uh, it's also equally important to build something that's small enough that you can get it out there and start talking about it, sharing, and if it sticks, and people like, oh, I guess if it sticks and people. Uh, interested in paying for it right then it makes like it's a more of a business decision to continue that right Mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's a rocky ride but (laughs) fun um one
0: of the things you mentioned was migrating it or like moving it over to other platforms like the ipad and the mac uh before we jump whole hog into the mac was there anything in particular when it came to moving focused work over to the ipad that you had to think about
1: yeah there was initially when i launched the app right it scaled up as an ios app to an ipad view right so you still had the um it was just when ios 14 came out with the whole like ipad os like design improvements with a sidebar and whatnot right and so just for context right so i launched the app in september 2020 right and i think if memory serves ipad os was out for a few months by that point right but The M1 MacBooks uh, also got announced by Apple, um, and that was actually my first jump into, like, optimizing for iPad, like, loading up the Apple Silicon optimized version of the iOS app on my MacBook, and it was really cool, like, trying it out, right, but, like, very quickly, you realize that it it wasn't just going to work as a iPad or a a macOS app, right? Yeah, but... It wasn't like there wasn't too much friction. I was just thinking about like how to lay out, uh, like how to, opt, I guess, take advantage of the big screen. And like in particular, um, in, in focus work, there's a productivity tab that gives you an oversight of like your daily, um, I guess, your daily goals of um, whether you're completing a certain amount of like focus work, taking enough break time, your daily, uh, like, I guess, like tracking that on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, right? And having a quick oversight of your recent focus sessions and i guess on an iphone that's all like like a vertical scrolling list right so you don't have to think about too much about how to present that information but on an ipad by like, the, the like you'd want to sort of have everything out like displayed on screen like a, in a glanceable format so people can just like quickly look at what they need right without having to like mess around interacting with the device
0: right right well how about now let's talk about the elephant in the room migrating to the mac my understanding is that you ended up using catalyst to do that is that correct
1: yeah. Yeah. That was uh, quite interesting.
0: Okay. So what was the decision process there? And do you have any regrets with moving to using Catalyst, I guess, to migrate it to the Mac?
1: I wouldn't say any regrets because I didn't know any better when I did it. I didn't know how to create a Mac, a native Mac app, right? So yeah. uh, the idea of creating a separate app was just not going to happen because one, I'd need a upskill and. Everything and every, like anything and everything related to building a Mac app, right? Like optimizing for the design patterns and and obviously keyboard and mouse, right? Rather than a touchscreen. But yeah, it was great like to use Catalyst. But uh, from like from early feedback that I was uh, receiving from a lot of users is that they love the app on the Mac, right? And like you, you, you sit there and think about it, like a, a lot of productivity apps that that involve you working on tasks are likely going to occur on your Mac rather than your iPhone or your iPad and like for example with me um, I'm always in Xcode all the time right and that's like so many other developers and having the the app on on your Mac right and, and I guess like having it sort of guide you through your focus sessions without having to dart your eyes away to like your iPhone or your iPad where you could get distracted by those other devices right it was uh, like that stood out to me that I really need to bring the app to the Mac. In, in in whatever form you know, like uh, mm-hmm. like like with, with a like taking a MVP like mindset approach, uh, I guess like with 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 launching the app on the Mac, as long as I had something out there, I could start getting feedback and and seeing like you know the holes that people were finding where like I could sort of optimize for a better experience as I went.
0: Yeah, like like it seems like too. You get from a business perspective, unless you really need a lot of custom interface elements, like. It, do, it does kind of make sense, especially early on, to just move to Catalyst if you already have an existing decent like iPad app, right? Like, mm-hmm. there, there's going to be a lot of friction, as we've talked about on this show before, like sticking with Swift UI and like rebuilding the app or having to relearn like learn AppKit, which we'll get into in a little bit. Well, speaking of AppKit, I guess you you talk you say you, you haven't app AppKit bridging. What is AppKit bridging exactly?
1: So basically, with Catalyst apps, right? When you, uh, well, there's an, there's an option in Xcode that lets you, um, have the IDE optimize your app for the Mac UI in, in air quotes where like, I guess converting I, iOS and iPad OS buttons to like the actual, like, you know, physical, like, like embossed button, like for one element, right. But like everything, like the sidebar clickable elements, and and with bridging, it allows I guess iPad apps to or and iOS apps to take advantage of the Mac technologies that are normally not available through the Catalyst APIs. Yeah, so like one example for that is that iOS apps have no concept of the menu bar, right, at, at the top, like along the top right of your screen, where you can um, I guess like display tidbits of information for other apps you got running. And bridging to AppKit allows me I guess to um, leverage features like that so I can put like a running timer in it I guess okay. a description of what you're focusing on so like when you're working on a task right you uh, some people like to have the timer on the screen some people like to just have what like a single focus task on the screen right and yeah having that I guess supplementary uh like timer in the top right of the screen they can always keep in touch with like whether they're supposed to be working how much time's left uh or whether they should be taking a break you know yeah that's one example I guess of yeah using Mac technologies and you need to uh, I guess, like communicate between iOS and AppKit to do that. It was, it was, it's a bit of a rudimentary process, but once you get it figured out the first time, like it's, uh, it's pretty straightforward.
0: So maybe we'll get into it. One of your big projects you're working on right now is migrating from UIKit to Swift UI. and now you're gonna go full universal app. What's that experience like? Where are you finding the biggest points of friction?
1: Honestly, it's a lot less friction building a universal app. Only, uh, I guess like the only friction point is having to learn how to create a Mac app, right? Because the difference between a Catalyst app and a universal app is that Catalyst, you're building an iPhone app and you're porting it pretty much to the Mac, right? But with the universal app from the get-go, you can build screen, I guess like designs and and workflows that cater to each platform, like quite simply and not have to worry about bridging or, um, I guess like thinking about how to have, like how to mold a screen to two platforms. Cause you can just branch off where you need and build separate screens. And that's actually, um, yeah, like I've started, um, like I made a decision recently to diversify and start building more apps, right. Rather than sticking on the one, because yeah, like working on the one app for the longest time, like I, I'm the type of person that wears my heart on my sleeve. So if something's not going good with it, like it brings me down. But if something is absolutely, like, fan- like something fantastic is happening, I'm, like, you know, buzzing and, like, I'm on the massive high, right? And, like, I've identified for me personally, that's, like, something I want to, uh, like, I-, I want to reduce the amount of negativity and keep as much positivity as I can, right? So, building a second app, diversifying and building a universal app um, as well in particular lets me, uh, I guess, yeah, create something that's, like, I guess uh from the get go optimized for each platform. Yeah. And it looks great.
0: So we've we've actually talked about this offline, but like my biggest challenge with designing a Mac app is finding really good like information out there in the same way I found iOS stuff and doing it using Swift UI. What like what have you done to kind of update or upgrade your design skills when it comes to like building a Mac app and specifically?
1: Uh, well, with with a Mac app, first of all, using the native components makes the app look so much better and and focused work.
0: When you say native components, are you talking AppKit or are you talking SwiftUI?
1: So I'm talking, um, I guess, native according to the platform that you're using it on, right? So a Mac app, you're like you're using the appropriate components that Mac users are familiar with, and iOS same okay. thing, yeah. But uh, with SwiftUI in particular, um, it's been a godsend, like using it. It's, like there's no way I'd go ahead and build a multi-platform app and have to use UIKit and then AppKit because I'd have to learn AppKit first of all.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And, and and figure out how all that, how all that works. And like I, I'd rather use it in pieces where I need to. And SwiftUI lets you, I guess, um, mm-hmm. drop down to that layer like uh, I, when FocusWork launched, actually, it was a UI kit app completely. Um, and it launched a week before iOS fourteen came out. So SwiftUI was still in its infancy stage. In that, I guess that that six to nine month block, I was building FocusWork. And when widgets came out with iOS fourteen, that's when I started playing around with SwiftUI. And over time, like I've probably, I think I've got FocusWork to about you know 90 percent SwiftUI now.
0: Wow, that's awesome
1: rather than um yeah ui kit and like i'm imagining closer to like considering whether to like tick the box to have the the catalyst mac app a uh, display the the mac components right but then again with, with with uh like i still need to spend more time with figuring out like whether those buttons that automatically convert from ios buttons whether they sit well or like the the ui structure you know yeah but like Swift swift ui has been amazing and like it was a no brainer to start a new project with it. And even like I'm working on a client project now and that for the first time it's been SwiftUI from the get go. It's just an iOS app, right? But I'm
0: in the same boat right now with my, most of my client projects We're moving to SwiftUI.
1: So mm-hmm. yeah. And, and and like the biggest mind blowing thing from a client work perspective with SwiftUI is that for me, when it comes to going through the whole design phase, right. And basically like I, I like in a nutshell begin with like wireframes, right. And then, I sort of like build up from their build more high fidelity sort of wireframes prototypes, right, um, using Sketch. And with SwiftUI, like I can skip that process now. I just, you know, sketch things out on my iPad and then I can jump straight into um, Xcode and then build out that dummy prototype. And the best part is, is that like when I go to catch up with a client to like show them like how things are going, like how the app would look right without doing anything technical, instead of showing them Sketch wireframes, I can actually just let up the app on their phone and they can play with it. With that, you know, like, uh, right, I guess, right. like, everything connected. As and, long as you have, that's... like, a
0: live preview, even, you can go that route. Yeah, totally. What You mentioned you were sketching a bit on the iPad. What what exactly are you doing on the iPad when you first draw out your designs?
1: I try to, uh, well, I'll start with a big square on the page, and then <laughs> and then I kind of feel like, uh, like, i write some notes down on the side of it, uh, I guess, like, how I want to um, model the user flow of the app. Okay. I guess, like starting points, like what users will be doing uh, at particular points, um, how they can navigate, right? And then once I have that sort of brief flow chart out, and I might even go as like, you know, into the technical stuff if I, if there's database stuff related to try and figure out how that all works. And then that usually it's just like design stuff, like the just, the, just the, uh, the flow charting. And then I get into the wireframes. And every time I think of an idea, I'm always like, I just jump on my iPad straight away and I uh, start sketching because yeah like if i've used notability for the longest time uh lately i think it's uh or well, with the the other app that i'm working on now i'm using Goodnotes. i think it is um <laughs> there was like a, a sale on it like a like half price i think so i thought you know I'll, I'll try it out and that's been um like they're both great tools like you can't fault either they've been, they've been fantastic
0: I wanted to ask a bit about some of the integrations you have in your app. You're, you integrated with uh, a third, well, third party app toggle, uh, which mm. I've, I've used for time tra- tracking. How did that work out? And are, is there any risk? Do you see any risk in integrating with something like toggle with
1: Toggle in particular, no, not really, because I've um, I've loved that tool for so many years now. I've been using it since 2014, 2015.
0: Yeah, I've used it since. I don't even know how long I've been using Toggle, but yeah, yeah I'm on the same boat.
1: Um, it, it's been great. Like, even um, like initially it was for... Uh, tracking my own stuff because the design studio i was working with at the time they were using it for client projects right and they uh like i liked like what they were doing with tracking their time and i thought i oh, you know i'll try it as well and then eventually when i got around to doing my own freelancing i used that to to track client projects and and build for that back when i was doing hourly billing um which i've since moved away from so all i do use it now for is just you know getting an oversight of like how i'm spending my week um right, on the right exactly so, you know, having used it for seven years now and and also I've like um, reached out to the team a couple of times, I've helped them out with a couple of things like a usability test and they wanted some advice from me, from me as well, like over the last year. Like I, I know they're a great, great team and they're reliable um, and they have uh, an open source API as well. So it's easy to see. Sorry, no, they don't have an open source API. They have open source frameworks that interact with the API, but the API documentation is like, is really, really, really great. It is really um, solid, yeah. So integrating that with focused work, like since I track my time all the time, right? And I'm, and I'm using focused work to track my focus sessions. It was a no brainer to to have that linked up and, um, you know, two beds, one stone kind of uh, mindset.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: With Toggle, yeah.
0: Hey folks, I want to let you know about a sponsor for today's episode, Sentry. Sentry is the way to track errors and do performance reports on your apps and see what's going on. Are you worried about certain edge cases happening? Then Sentry is definitely the way to go. I've started integrating into my apps and it has an awesome dashboard and great integrations with other tools like there, like GitLab and GitHub. Sentry has Swift packages, CocoaPods. So it's easy for you to integrate it and get started today. They have a great team and I highly recommend you check Sentry out. Thank you so much to Sentry for sponsoring today's episode. Go to the link in the show notes below and give it a try. Thank you. Okay, how do you get people to notice your app? Let's start with the beta testing part of it. How do you even get beta testers for your app if nobody knows about you and your app, I guess?
1: Sharing, that's the most important thing. And that's 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 something I tell a lot of other um, developers that are looking to create their own apps, right, is to get on the sharing bandwagon as soon as possible. And I distinctly remember with, with Focusware, it was in what was it like i started building in in march 2020 in about june july i'd been hacking away for a few months at that point and uh i had like the the, the general idea of what the app was going to look like and and work like like coded out pretty much at that point right but it wasn't ready for test flight but i thought you know what like i like i, I just felt compelled to just get something out there and and see um What would happen? I was expecting crickets, honestly. And so, like, I created a thread on on, uh, Twitter. It's probably about, like, a six-part thread. And in the descriptions, I uh, well, first of all, like, I took screenshots of the app, right? Just bare-bones screenshots. And then I think I had two screenshots per tweet. And then I wrote a description that was, uh, like, that added additional context to those screenshots about how the app Mm. worked. I didn't have like 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 I said, test flight wasn't like a build was test flight build was m- months away at that point, maybe one or two months because everything was kind of just hacked together. And I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to share it one day. And then I posted it on Twitter, and it, and <laughs> it was pretty funny that like my phone for a good six hours would not stop buzzing. That I actually had to like put on vibrate and stick it in another room because um I think people just started liking it and sharing it. That's awesome. And very quickly, probably like the first. Half an hour to an hour into that, I realized that I should totally get a, uh, a mailing list sorted so I could, you know, like people people like seem to like things uh, and find it like um, find things like pretty cool and stuff, right? But once it's out of their mind, they forget about it normally, right? Yeah. But having that mailing list was like an entry point for me, I guess, to reach out to them when a test flight build was up. And yeah, at that time, I was speaking to other indies as well on Twitter. And they, you know, uh, helped out with a few like likes and retweets and stuff, just to, yeah, I guess like um, help spread the word a little bit more. And that was how I, got, I guess, I got my first beta testers. And I left that, um, that thread up on my uh, Twitter profile. I, I pinned it for probably I don't know two, two, three months afterwards. And I just kept getting signatures. I'm oh, not signatures. I kept getting emails. Mm-hmm. People signing up, saying they're keen to try the app when it's out. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: And because I had such a big wave come in there was no way I was going to push out the app to like 500 people because the next day, if you know, hypothetically speaking, if they use the app and they decide to email me, that's 500 emails i got to deal with, right? And that's just like Mm -hmm. the initial icebreaker conversation. So I figured, yeah, like I'd sort of phase that out and start with, you know, 10 people first, then another 10 people every week. And then I expanded that to 20 people. And then I dealt with the feedback as I, uh, I guess, like, responded to emails and like started conversations and it, most importantly it allowed me to um, I guess have a proper conversation with each and every person I get to like understand why they like the app or what appealed to them the most right to give me context on what I should be focusing on because like I've got my own idea of what I want to build right but if if like a cohort starts like preaching something in particular that's like super important that I should like like either add or optimize right um, like I need to steam my attention towards that in order to leading up through that I guess like through the beta phases to launch, right? That I'm launching my MVP uh with a punch, right?
0: Yeah. Do you think if you didn't get that much of a reply, would you still be working on the app? Was that a good way to find out and garner interest in the app and know, okay, yeah, this is not an app idea that's gonna go anywhere.
1: Well, so I started building the app in March twenty twenty, right? And that's just as the um the world started turning to shit. Yeah, right, I guess right. that was a little bit after actually, but like in Australia anyway, when things started locking down and um I did actually lose uh like quite a bit of client work I had lined up going uh like at the start of twenty twenty, right? So um yeah, working on like it was a once in a I guess a lifetime opportunity to drop everything and work on my own app, right? And like I probably like that being said, I would've Stuck through and like at least launched the app because I always wanted to, I guess, see things through from end to end. And and at uh, like you touched on before how uh, like I was doing quite a bit of writing uh, about like the whole process um, of doing everything. Yeah, the, the name of that blog was actually um, launching an indie app right, which is like a fourteen part blog series about I guess going through the idea conception design development beta testing marketing pricing launching on the app store right. So. I wanted to at least see this app through, and I, I guess like things that I could like things that I had learned at each step, and I guess like uh, also it would, uh, like keeping track of stuff that didn't work so well. Like uh, like at least uh, if I was if I was capturing that information and, and and writing it down in blog format for one, it would help me the next time I build my second app. But it also like help out other indies or right. up and up and coming indies, right, for jumping on. So, yeah, yeah, I, I would have stuck through and released it either way. What do you have
0: anything that you wish you had known before you had gotten started with the app? And not technical, but more in the marketing sense, I guess.
1: Hmm. I probably would have liked, well, see, I'm naturally a developer, right? I'm not a marketer. So, trying to make efforts with that is just naturally hard. And I often find having to set myself like a, I guess, like goals to actually spend time focusing on it because coding is my comfort space, right? Creating marketing material isn't. <laughs> it's just how I am, right? Um, yeah.
0: I'm in the same boat. Like it's it's not, I have to figure out if I can engineer it and code it, then mm. if there's a way I can make the marketing uh, programmatic, then it's not such a, such a challenge for me. But yeah, I'm in the same boat where it's like, it's really hard to like figure out the message and and the mm. story behind the app, so I totally understand that.
1: I feel like I it's hard to say because like I feel like I did the right steps early on. I started sharing, started talking about it, mm-hmm. created a um, well, I was basically an open open book the whole time, right?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, but I, I guess um, if well, I had my time well, again, oh, yeah, yeah, there we go. Go ahead, that's exactly. Uh, what yeah. to ask. <laughs> if I had if you're my time do it
0: again, how would you do it differently? Yeah,
1: I would. Knowing that I was building a productivity app, I probably wish I had spent more time in the online productivity communities to, I guess, really feel like, get a feel of what it's like at ground level for everyone else that uses those apps. And especially when it comes to time where you need to talk about your app, if you go through like each of the different phases and you get to marketing and it's like, oh, post on Reddit, post in discords and stuff, blah, 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 right? If you just do that out of the blue, like, you're going to get banned or kicked out of those groups. And right,
0: right. You have to be very careful about that, yeah.
1: I w- Yeah, I wish I had built more report with the the admins uh, in those specific communities early on. I even loop them in to, you know... Because, like, I, I guess you can consider them as gatekeepers for those communities, right? And if you get them on board and they're, uh, they're uh, really keen to talk about your... or use your app and talk about it, Right. They'd be more lenient about like sharing, I guess, like the good word to their people. I wish I'd done that, uh, I guess. Yeah. Looking back. And then that way, when I launched the app, instead of just having like only the Twitter buzz and, and I guess like the email list buzz, which was pretty big when, when I launched, right? But having like, you know, people from like the productivity communities talking about it, that, there's a lot of people out there that use productivity apps. There is so many people, right? Right. and like I feel like yeah if I, if I could could have cracked that egg a lot sooner that would have like really um i guess like been super helpful with with uh getting my uh or getting focus work more well known quicker yeah. no
0: I agree I think you should like find the audience of your app and like target those stupid php forums uh, mm. or or subreddits. Uh, I think that's super helpful in getting advice and and understanding like the audience better. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I agree totally. I I wish, I wish I would do that more often as as well.
1: Mm, mm, mm. I, I remember, um, yeah, I thought like, you know, sharing to the Apple subreddit was a great idea. I went to the page. I'm like, oh, look, there's like 5 million people <laughs> that visit here. Let's give it a shot, you know. And, and then they were doing their promo. I think I think it was promo, promo started, Friday that. or something. Uh, they, they changed the dates. But um, yeah, like they um, let, you know, Indies post what they're working on once they've launched their product, right? That was a very um, good wake-up call uh, to how... I guess the internet can respond to things that they don't like in your app, in particular. Yeah, Reddit. Uh, I mean, that would, that's t- my t- fear t- with t- any t-
0: audience, t- is like, you don't like, um, how do I put it? There's, there's too much, especially on the internet, there's like the culture of, of people who are like snobs in whatever they're in, and it's like, oh... You know, I would be worried about going into, like, a, a productivity group and they, like, scoff at the fact that you're using Pomodoro. Pomodoro, so 2006. Mm. Nobody mm. uses that. You may as well use GTD if you're going to be into that. Like, they're just, like, kind of snobs. Like, that's that would be my worry with any subculture. You know right every yeah, subculture yeah. has their snob
1: right it's like it's, it's a hive mind mentality it's interesting like i follow a bunch of subreddits and like i see it on the star wars subreddit all the time and like i i even even the um like locally speaking like the afl uh, subreddit which is like the australian football league right yeah, yeah, yeah. as communities grow right you have those people like into the community in 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 hordes that you know I, I, I guess like it's an internal thing to filter out the noise, which is like the not so nice comments, but the, the nice comments and the uh, like, they're the ones that stand out and they, they make me feel really happy. Right. And like they're the type of people that are, you know, I might even go the next step to actually reach out and DM them and stuff and, you know, have a, have a chat with them, which is great. Cause you never get to like, you never know uh, who who you'll meet someday. Right. It's the same with Twitter as well. Um, Like I, um like w- when I was building focus work, I didn't just meet other developers. Right. I met other people that found the app because it's, a great productivity app, right? And I, um, like for a point early days in Twitter, like like if someone would sort of, you know, say something about the app or, or DM me or even follow me on Twitter, I would actually go and individually reply to every single person and just, you know, a simple aspect of like, hey, thanks for following. How's it going, right? Yeah, I guess like feeding off those good vibes, like you never know who you meet, right? And um, yeah, like it, it makes the, I guess like... You DM everybody that follows you. I used to. Now it's like i would be spending it'll be a full-time job <laughs> doing that. I'm not too much harder do yeah. that, but yeah. like you know, like it's uh, I've got only so much time during the day uh, because, like, like when I want to like speak to someone and 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 have a chat with them, I don't want to be like, "Hi, how are you going?" That's it, right? Like, I like I, I wanted to. Well, early on, I would, I wanted to really get to know people and stuff. And there's people that like I I I started chatting with, yeah, like well, it was a year and a half ago. That I still speak to this day because of that and I made some good online friendships and yeah it's a shame that because you know I'm down in Australia there's not many other indies around here <laughs> so I can't really hang out with other people like in that in that space so I guess like yeah having that sort of chat and banter and stuff on Twitter yeah it's been a, a stopgap and a, a great sort of uh yeah fix that
0: how has like writing about your journey helped you be able like just helped you continue to be an indie developer and come up with your next app and follow a process.
1: I think it's helped me articulate my ideas better. I, gre- I guess realize if I'm just talking bullshit, like, like what I'm just saying just is just silly without having to <laughs> speak to another person and have that, you know, I guess that, that uh like that, that look, it's been, um yeah, they're like great to I guess like get my ideas out and then I can reflect back on them at, an, at another time and, like, with, with my blog series, like, I, like I've like stopped writing now because, like, the, the, each, like, I wanted to make sure each article was just, like, the best it could be, right? It took a lot of time to actually go through and, like, proofread it as well and make sure I'll fix everything up and, you know, attach, like, contextual pictures and videos and stuff. But uh, ever since I finished the blog, I've actually, like, I, I built a habit keeping notes every day. So, when I first started on a focused work, right, every single day, I opened up like I created a Notion document at the start, right, and every single day I'd go in and uh, type in the date at the top, and then I'd do dot points of so everything I worked on. And I'm nice. like, I, I, I haven't stopped. That's an awesome doing habit. That. Yeah, like I haven't stopped, and and that's that was what like I guess the the, the content in the uh, launching Indie India series was uh, was from from those uh, I guess like every every or uh, well, my brain dump pretty much right. And mm-hmm. ever since I've finished those articles, I've actually continued to write every single day in my own little journal. right? So I'm up to like day six hundred and 20, 20, 30, maybe. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah, so, like, um, it, it's it's been a great, <laughs> like, I've realized now that I'm, like, you know, hundreds of days in, it's a great way to con- uh, command F back to some point in time when I had an idea, right, or right. if I worked on something and I can just quickly flick back to, like, problems that I've faced, like, what I did to, I guess, like, you know, promote the app in a certain way or experiments, but more importantly, like, tracking everything that I do. Like understanding whether it paid off over time, yeah, and it's also like obviously helped helped improve my uh, my written English skills. Like speaking is one thing, right, but typing things out in a way that people find it easy to read and understand your ideas that's another challenge in itself. And yeah, it's great that like uh, like I, I I jumped into like Grammarly quite a bit right to fix up everything every every time I'd post the blog post, they fix all the typos and there were a few things here and there but yeah. like doing that like maybe sort of get a sense of like you know how to structure paragraphs in a way that
0: mm-hmm. are more
1: sort of like engaging and I think I need to promote that blog series more because <laughs> like in the last six months I've been a bit lazy and I've like attached it to my Twitter page and stuff but it's like like I feel like uh there's like so much to share in that right because I go through everything in detail and like, like a big reason why I created it in the first place is that, um, when I first started out building focus work, there are a few blog posts here and there about particular parts of like, you know, uh, creating an app and, mm-hmm. and, and selling it, right? But they're very high level. There wasn't something that really like helped out with a process. Like, for example, like launching on Product Hunt when you're ready to publish your app, right? Like, you know, that like, like, well, people know that Product Hunt is a place that has a timeline of like, apps that launch every day, right? But figuring out like what's the right way to, like pick all the low hanging fruit and make sure that like when you when you publish like at the right time like you have the best chance of trying to rank up to I guess product of the day and um like something as niche as that is something that like I've covered in those articles and there's like there's so many like it pricing decisions as well like understanding how much like I guess figuring out how much should I charge for my app like should I do like upfront uh, should I do like lifetime only in-app purchase or do monthly yearly and um. Also having the mailing list early on as well, really helped with me getting feedback on that. So when it, when I guess like it came to launching, I didn't have to pick a random number out of the air, right? And then just like set that up on the App Store Connect page. I could just look at the data and then like, you know, I did my little like pie charts and stuff to see like the demographics of like, what uh, like would you pay for monthly? Would you pay for yearly? How much would you pay? But that being said, what I ended up settling on was a yearly um, fee for Focus Work and a lifetime fee, right? And I didn't pick monthly because everyone hated it. So I'm thinking, okay, it's gonna like not be good for the for the product early on. I'll, I'll just skip that and just do the yearly. You know, I'll, I'll charge what was it? I think it was like ten bucks US for the year, and then like I'll do twenty bucks for lifetime, right? But yeah, fast forward to like four to five months later, I thought I'd run an experiment. Like, hey, how about I like you know raise the prices for for yearly and lifetime? Um yeah, I decided like there's like a low end gap there where like I could slot in like a monthly fee for like, you know, four or five bucks a month, whatever it was at the time. And once I added that, people actually started selecting that more than yearly. And I lifetime. remember
0: uh, a talk by uh, Curtis who does slopes at Release Notes where he like started playing around with like daily subscriptions and it was like crazy how like the fact it didn't matter that was like they're gonna pay it every day it was the fact that it was cheaper that's all that mattered and like he was able to get like so many like more so much more income just just off of changing to like smaller and smaller subscription amounts which is crazy
1: yeah like i uh i feel it's worth adding that option when you're launching out for the first time even if people say they hate it if they hate it, then they won't select it. You know,
0: right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, but when I launched uh, Focus Work and I shared it on the subreddit, right on on our Apple, uh, like that, you got to be very careful on that sub when you got apps with subscriptions because yeah, that like I've seen so many apps as well, like where the thread gets derailed quite early, right, and then the top comment is like subscriptions pass, subscriptions pass. And like when I launched, right, I, I said that I, I already. How
0: like, dare had, you? How dare you have an income of building <laughs> this app? How dare you have a living income?
1: I'm like, uh, when I launched the app, right, like I had the yearly option, but right underneath, which is on like like even the iPhone eight screen, so you could see everything clearly at a glance, right? There was a lifetime option, but you know the person scrolled down the page and saw yearly. Nah, that's it, right? So, um, but still, like. I wouldn't let things like that deter you from um, pushing forward because it, it was either for me deciding to uh, add a trial option or add a monthly option. And I'm like, well, I'll pick the monthly option because I can make money from it straight away, you know? Like I can start to boost the uh, the monthly recurring revenue of the product and get some sort of idea of like like how many people are using the app uh, every, every month, right? How many people are paying for it to sort of plan out whether it's like, you know, growing or not because... With one-time purchases, it's just like it's it's great to have that like you know that that early investment. But if you're still working on your app, like one, two, three years down the track, right? And 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 it turns out to be something that requires a lot of overhead over time, right? Like you, sh- I feel like you're shooting yourself in the foot by only offering a, a one-time uh, purchase. Uh, but th- don't forget that's subjective to the product. Like if if a product like is continually helping. Solve a problem for someone every single day, or every single week, right? And then you can sort of like justify like a a a recurring subscription. Uh, but if it's like a a simple utility, right? Then yeah, maybe like a subscription would sort of deter people away from wanting to pay for your app. Yeah, so, so yeah, it's subjective. Yeah.
0: So let's get a little bit technical here. I want to know what are some of the crazier or more interesting APIs you've been working on.
1: Uh, or plugging into Focused Work. This is going to be fun. So I guess with, with Focused Work, yeah. I went down an, an absolute rabbit hole after I started launching the iPad app, right? I have gone through and I think off the top of my head, so I've added widgets, so I had to learn Widget kit. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of documentation for it when I was exp- like experimenting. And that was just like trying to get my head around, like having uh, like those widgets update every so often, like, it was a bit annoying because with focus work, you have, like, a running timer, right? And and as you progress through each of the stages within a focus session, like, you switch from a focus work stage to a break stage, you need to have that widget react to, I guess, that state change. And, um, right. yeah, if you're, um like, having your app back- backgrounded at the time, like, it prevented that from, uh, from happening, but luckily I found a couple of tricks to get around that only because of some other features that a focus worker is using to sort of... Uh, Allow the app to continue running in the background and update that that state change. So widgets, yeah, that that, that was um that was a big one for me. And then I think from there I moved on to um, shortcut support and and understanding intents, Siri intents, and like what I guess uh, learning how to um, communicate through uh, like with like the database layer and stuff. Like I guess. Asking Siri to oh that's not going to pick my devices. Asking uh, voice assistant to uh, start start a session, (laughs) start a session or pause a session, restart it.
0: Don't worry about that. My my Siri my you know who it'll like pick up even when I don't say the name. So you know at this Uh, point I just don't even care anymore.
1: My 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 watch done it right so far. Usually it starts talking to me randomly (laughs) when
0: I'm looking at people.
1: Yeah, and then um, yeah, so shortcuts getting that in was awesome because then you could start automating like when to start a session.
0: Siri intent seems like a bigger deal than people realize. As far as like, like, doesn't that also affect the way like you work from like? Doesn't it affect the way handoff works too? As far as like, if you're working on one app and you go to your Mac, it knows that you're working on that app and it'll be able to allow you to like basically go to that on your Mac to where the state is on the app on your iPhone.
1: Yeah. Well, with, with handoff, that's actually something that I have on my bucket list that I do want to add, transferring a, a current focus session from your phone to your Mac, right? And vice versa, depending, like if you're switching context of like working on an overall task, but so I don't know the in, ins and outs of it yet. I like, I would be cool if you could actually like ask Siri to transfer a focus session from your phone to your, to your Mac rather than having to open it up. And you know, tap the the handoff like buttons on on either computer. But I don't think that's I don't think that's possible in its in its current right, right, right. Because they're they're explicit actions, right? Like with a Mac, you get to go to the dock and like click on like an app that that pops up.
0: Right. Well, I'm thinking of maybe it's NSA activity is what I'm thinking of where, where where you set that stuff up. But yeah,
1: yeah. I like I hear that API is like is super awesome and super flexible and everyone loves it, right? But with me, all I've used it for is just sending simple parameters from uh from a shortcut to the main app. So like like the second app that I'm working on now, I think I should mention what it is. It's it's called uh, O-H-I, or O-K-I, Ochi or Ochi, O C H I. Basically okay. it's it's a spin off of the um, app and website blocking feature that I've added to focus work over the last couple of months, right? But it takes that that idea to the next level compared to other apps that are on the store now. Um, and a big thing for me adding uh, to the app was shortcut support because a lot of blocker apps out there at the moment, it's just you got to click on stuff and, like, initiate the blocker yourself. But I thought it would be cool if I could, um, if I didn't, if I, at the time I didn't want to run a focus session with focus work, right, but I still wanted to block like, distractions outright. I love the idea of, like, s- starting a block on my Mac and then it would block out, like, you know, apps and websites but also automatically start the block on your phone. So if you're, like, focusing on, like, for example, writing a document on your computer, right, and you've got your phone nearby, right, and, for, like, like sometimes you can't get rid of your phone. Like, if you're waiting for a phone call or a message, right, it's got to, like, stay in your desk, right? But it's there to distract you, right? Uh, the idea of, like, blocking apps when you go to use that, like, just automatically between the two, um, that was, like, scratching my own itch. That's another idea of scratching my niche, right? So I could sort of like avoid going on Twitter on my phone when it's already blocked on my computer, just covering that on all my other devices.
0: Hey, folks, I don't know if you've been thinking about starting a new podcast, but now's the time to do it. If you're looking for suggestions, I highly recommend the host of this show, Transistor FM. Transistor FM has been a great host for Empower Apps. They have all sorts of great features like in depth analytics, automatic distribution to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, private podcasts for your special members, and all sorts of other great features. You can even look at their awesome portfolio of great customers like the NHL's Vegas Golden Knights, Indie Hackers, IBM, U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, Podia, Unbox Therapy, and more. If you have any interest in starting a podcast and playing around with it, I highly recommend checking out the link in the show notes below. Give Transistor a try and get going on that podcast you've always wanted to start. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Now, are you tapping into like the new Screen Time API for that at all?
1: Screen Time API, I wish, but and I had high hopes for that with iOS 15. and
0: I was going to say... I'm really curious
1: about it. Yeah, it was it's a bit of a disappointment to see how, how, li- how little uh, improvements came out for that. Like, I, I thought that would have been absolutely fantastic if you could block, like, choose what you want to block, like, through the screen time APIs. And I guess, like, adjust that or turn it on and off, you know? Because in the past, when I've used screen time, you've got to go in and, like, manually configure it and you got to set up schedules and stuff. But there was no simple way just to turn it on and turn it off and i don't even i think even with focus you can't do anything and and there's no shortcuts as well to interact with the screen time api as well so you can't even say like turn on uh like disable this like you know particular apps for like you know like a, like a few hours on and off right so um yeah huge disappointment for that
0: That's like the that's like the uh, i think screen time could be really useful and i think like it's along with the, like the new focus stuff Speaking of focus, the new focus stuff in iOS 15, I just don't have the time to, like, set all that stuff up for different, like, focus groups and, like, all mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah. oh, you can set up a custom one instead of home and work, and it's like, or sleeping or whatever. And it's like, I just don't have, the, like, I don't have the time to go in and, and play around with that stuff. So that's too bad that they don't, like, allow some developer interface into that. I don't know.
1: But, but yeah. I'll tell you what, like, focus has been amazing, like, the feature. Um it allows me to actually run automations on all my devices. And that's where, with with Oki, that I can, um, I can't have my Mac app talk to the iOS app to say, do this, right? Because, like, if you're not using an app on, on, on your um, your iPhone or your iPad and it's, like, locked, right? Not, nothing's going to happen. It, it uh, like, it, it won't respond. It's, it's sleeping until, like, a user... Like explicitly opens up the app and starts interacting with it, and then it'll start, you know, fetching data. Or if there's anything that's changed, it'll apply it then, right? But with with um, with focus, what I've done is that, and leveraging the Siri intents as well, is that I can set up a uh, like an automation on my iPhone. So, like for example, when the when the personal focus is turned on, right, I can have the app wake up temporarily and write to the local database in the app to say enable this filter. Even for like 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 indefinitely, or enable it for like two hours, right? So if I just switch on focus on, like if I turn on the personal focus on my Mac, right, that would automatically automatically cover my iPhone, and I don't need to even think about it, right? It's I just know that, like.
0: Yeah, I do like that a lot. Yeah. So
1: I can't wait to get that out. Like I just actually finished the uh, the MVP for the Mac app last night. It's up till pretty late, just grinding it out. I Wanted to get it done. Now now that that's pretty much wrapped up, yeah, I'm gonna like just clean up the UI for the iPhone and the iPad app, right? Because um, at the moment, everything's sort of, you know, laid out for the Mac app. And being a universal app, I can just quickly just mock up screens and um, just move things around here and there.
0: The power of SwiftUI.
1: But yeah, like, uh, it's insane. It's insane. Like, I wish the APIs for blocking were as, <laughs> as easy to use Swift SwiftUI because I'll tell you what, that was its own can of worms as well, having to, um, like, you're going to love this. I had to use to so, so to to block websites on your Mac, right? Cuz there's no native APIs for it. I had to I had to use AppleScript and I had never used AppleScript before, so I had to learn it and ah, gee, that what was This is why you were painful. asking questions
0: about AppleScript. Oh,
1: yeah, damn. that okay. was just geez, like <laughs> I thought it was annoying learning Java in first year uni as my first programming language, but geez with with AppleScript like uh it's uh you got to <laughs> Like, I'm so used to, like, how things are, are written in, like, you know, Swift and Kotlin these days. Yeah, that, like, well, you writes... have
0: to do Apple Script. Like, I, I'm surprised considering Apple Script is probably not long for the world. There's yeah. no alternative to do that.
1: It depends. Like, there is another way to to block websites, and it's if you want know, to, like, like uh, inter- interface with the networking layer on your Mac. And right. that's, like, learning other frameworks like Swift NIO okay, which, okay. And, and understanding, you know, like, intercepting HTTPS right. connections. And right. I tried that as well. And that that was just, like, I'm I'm not a networking person. That just bored me. And, like, I just, yeah. Right.
0: So <laughs> right. the, there's a app that I use. I can't think of what it is. But, like, when I uh, need to be on my cell phone data connection, like, I can block websites for that so I don't take up all my data on my cell phone from my Mac. Right. Like I'm tethered. And yeah, that that's like a whole networking app and it's a filter. And yeah, that's yeah, I understand where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to keep it super flexible. And with the iOS side of things as well, there's no Apple script there. Right. So I can't just, you know, use that same sort of that same technique. So I um, like when I launched that feature with focus work, the easiest way of going around about it, because the app was always working in the background was to use content blockers. So when someone installed the app for the first time, as long as they went into Safari options and enabled the content blocker, right? If a focus session started and, and they had um, like specified a few websites for that session, right? Because you can create filters and assign up to focus sessions, that would just immediately block those websites, right? But to get content blockers to reliably update through um, like when, when automations are fired, like, like it just wouldn't work. Like I tried, um, if you try to like initiate a shortcut in the shortcuts app and say, I want to start a focus session and that has an attached filter, right? Uh, the shortcut will wake up the app briefly to enable the content blocker. But if I tried to do the same thing through an an automation, so if I set up an automation to turn on that start a focus session or like, you know, with, 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 like starting a filter, right it doesn't wake up the app. Like it doesn't, when you try to call the API to refresh the content blocker, it just like, because it's not like the app or the shortcut link to the app that's running the action, right? That threw that idea out. And which annoyed me quite a bit because that meant I had to, um, and for the longest time, I avoided trying to learn Safari web extensions because <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not a web dev at all by any nature. I'm right, JavaScript, right. I've only like Geez, like I, I probably ticked with JavaScript in first year, second year uni, right? Just doing your basic script. Yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. if I can avoid learning another language for now, like, like I'm, that'd be great. But I hit that wall with, uh, with Oki because it doesn't run in the background. Like when you apply a filter, right? It only uh-huh. runs in bursts when you want to actually perform an action, right? So yeah, like over the last couple of weeks, I've had to like, you know, grip my teeth and, um, yeah, like figure out how to, Talk or how to communicate between the main app to the extension to like three or two layers of JavaScript files and understanding how to you know redirect active tabs and stuff. So uh, I've okay. got it working though, which is great. But yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to cleaning that up over the next uh, <laughs> over the next week. Yeah. Do you it's have a stuff.
0: sign up page if folks are interested in getting a beta?
1: Well, actually, I hadn't. This is the first time I publicly announced what it is, right? Because um, because of all the ambiguity with all the APIs and I don't know if it was actually going to work. Once I, uh, like this past week, I, I realized that all the APIs worked and and the idea of blocking, like initiating a block from your Mac and it works on your iPhone or, you know, initiating a block on your iPad and it works on your iPhone. Once I got that, th- that's when I'd like, you know, start talking about it so i'm probably like over the next two days and by the time uh your listeners are listening to this pod yeah like it like i would have financed it uh, at that point so we'll yeah. have that
0: sign up page in the link uh the yeah notes.
1: yeah I'll, I'll pin it to my twitter page anyway that that'll definitely be up there like as i learned with focus work right yeah having that that mailing list or even if i get around to like creating an app store page because like, you know you can create pre-order pages now right in the in the, over the next couple of weeks if i can get that approved um yeah like i'll I'll have that. Uh, LinkedIn to my Twitter bio. Cool. Um, so
0: before we end, I have one more question for you. Um, so you said you do a lot of freelance work. What, what skills in building focused work and doing your indie apps have you brought to your freelance work as far as like what skill sets have made you a better freelancer when you work on client projects?
1: I'd say the ability to rapidly prototype and test ideas um a lot faster because i don't have to uh yeah do the whole sketch overhead of creating like mock-ups to see how it actually looks on a device and i don't have to use ui kit now to code up things and constraints right. and you know or write up you know like I've, I've stayed away from like auto layout and stuff now i'm, I'm always like writing nested you know stack views and stuff because it's how i do it in android right with the linear layouts but, yeah, uh, right, right, right. yeah it's easy <laughs> but um yeah like yeah it Having, uh, I guess like the ability to rapidly prototype that stuff is great. I guess learning focus, uh, like creating focus work and learning about all these APIs in the Apple ecosystem. I feel like it's helped me in better stead that now if someone sort of pitches an idea to me, I'll know if it works rather than sort of like half guessing if something is going to work. I could just, you know, I'll, I'll be able to like, like, uh, vet out like gr- fun ideas to work on a lot faster now. And yeah, like that's probably been like the best thing about like creating focus work is that like it hasn't set the world on fire in terms of like being an event like a like a productivity app that everyone's using, right? But it's helped me like level up massively, not just from like the technical stuff, but like everything else around that. Especially the marketing and like understanding how to pitch I guess pitch ideas, pitch what you're working on and yeah, seeing I guess like how that all like fits in right it's like a like a it's a a big engine building building an app there's so many moving parts in it and you're always constantly having to refine that right and I think the balance is in this sweet spot that I'm trying to find is that I want to build apps that aren't like technically dense so over time they're still fun to work on right but it'll allow me to sort of expand my portfolio and build more cool ideas right that I can continue to like you know take care of over time and then yeah I guess like Solve more problems for myself, people as well.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. That's that's a that's a fantastic answer. Thank you. It's great having you on. So the next episode, we're gonna have Jordan Morgan on, who's been on the show before, but he's also written Mm. extensively. I wish we had more of a chance to ask you about cloud your cloud kit experience because I know he's had he has had quite the interesting cloud kit experience, which we'll get into the next
1: episode. yeah, it's good and bad. It's all yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, thank you, Michael, so much for coming on. I really get to
1: have you. Yeah, I've, yeah, it's been amazing. Uh, thanks for the chat, and I'll, I just want to add at the end: there's, there are a few people uh, in the community that I want to give a quick shout out to as well. That I guess, like, like I've met so many fantastic humans along the way, and I can't list them all because I don't, I don't want to forget people. Right? They all knew they are, but most importantly, um, there are uh, four people that have a, have had a profound impact on my indie journey to date. Ever since I would started, right. And those four people are Geordie uh, Bruin, um, who's created, who's another indie indie developer who's created uh, Sozi, uh, oh, was it Susi? Sorry. And uh, recently, most recently, Navi as well, uh, that allows you to, um, like, when you're on a FaceTime call, right? It's like live subtitles, so you can sort of like speak to other people in other languages, right? And, and like, I guess like someone else in like if you're talking to someone in, in Greek, right? And and like you only speak English, right? You can sort of see what they're doing. That's awesome in real time. Yeah, that, that that's um. Watching, like I guess, like uh, like being able to talk with him in particular has been fantastic. Um, It's helped keep me level headed and avoid myself from, uh, uh, I guess, going down the rabbit hole doing silly ideas. Right, and yeah, second shout out uh, Emmanuel Crovisier, who's created Card Pointers, fantastic bloke as well, who's recently jumped on uh, becoming a full time indie, a massive inspiration to me, uh, and he's helped me out in so many areas over time. We're just bouncing feedback off. Aaron Pierce, he's from New Zealand as well. He's created a whole bunch of HomeKit related apps.
0: I didn't know Aaron's from New Zealand.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's awesome. Um, yeah, he's uh, yeah, been really helpful, especially with the uh, in particular the the bridging from iOS to AppKit and like I guess like he shared how with me like how he sort of like did that right so he could um, yeah, like monitor his like HomeKit related devices. Yeah, really awesome. And
0: and then we have our previous guest.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mustafa. Um, he's created tasks, right? Um, he's he's all, like equally as awesome as everyone else I just mentioned. And another indie that's made it full time now, right? And yeah, just being able to have some great conversations with him over the last year have been fantastic. I, I wish like each of these people were like working at the same co-working space because i just hang out with them every day, and I feel like yeah, it will just be like an amazing you know environment every single day to work with, but. Yeah, like I'm really appreciative to have met those four people in particular. Yeah, Mustafa
0: was fantastic and I know I know who who you've listed is definitely on my roster of people I want to have on the show. So oh, yeah, please. Eventually. Like, I'll, eventually.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's some great chats there. There's so many amazing stories, I reckon. Um that you that you have. Yeah. Thank you so
0: much. Um where can people find you online, Michael?
1: Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. Um, that's Michael underscore And I'm pretty much like always sharing Anything and everything related to my indie journey on there. So if yeah, like if you're already in indie or you want to sort of dabble your feet into the the world of creating your own apps, right? Yeah, like uh, come say hi, check out launching an indie app, and uh, yeah, I guess like if you need some sort of nighttime reading to, uh, that that's uh, quite fun to understand all the the behind the scenes stuff of what it takes to actually build and build your own app, right? Um, yeah, it'd be a great resource to to follow along with.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely check out his blog post. We'll have links to all that in our show notes below. People can find me on Twitter at LeoGTN. My company is Bright Digit. Be sure to like and subscribe, share on social media. I uh, Also post a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you're listening. Thank you so much. And uh, like I said, in the next episode, we'll talk, be talking to Jordan, Jordan again about his indie experience. Uh, Thank you for joining us and look forward to talking to you in a couple of
1: weeks. Bye. Bye.